0: I know you originally from Egg Yoke Jubilee. Frankly, right. that's the, that's the that's the first thing. So, uh, why is that? Is that your first? Was that your first
1: performing b- musical adventure here, or was there? Was it's that it's really my only one. That's uh-huh. it. You know, I mean, it was my first real group that I was really ever in. I mean, I you know dabbled around in some rock and roll bands before that, but nothing that had ever lasted you know, Uh or anything, I mean, I started doing Egg yolk when I was 25, and I knew that that was, I mean, it was going to have some traction, because it was a project that Paul Grass and I were doing together, and we, you know, we were buds in high school, and, uh, you know, we went to film school together at UNO, Mm -hmm. and uh, so I knew that in collaborating with him, it was at least something that would that would grab hold, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and have some
0: legs. So you guys seem pretty good at getting stuff together and, and, and or at least getting projects to completion, I guess, and, the, and you were filmmakers. How did you get the rest of the band together? So. Saying, yeah.
1: Well, uh, it was kind of cobbled together from uh, the pieces of some other bands that were falling apart at the time. Ah. So, you might recall that there was this band, Lump, that. Ben Ellman was in. Very well. Prior to Galactic, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. So Mike Joseph who's no longer with us um, I, I not not in body. I mean, <laughs> okay, no thank God here. I thought it was about to not, something I didn't know. He's no longer with the band. <laughs> okay. uh, is He was in Lump and then Eric Boleto was in Lump for a time. Really? Yeah. He was toward the end. Yep. I did not realize he that. He and Ben was. Ellman were, were in the band together. They were the, uh, they
0: were the saxophone people. Oh, okay. They no, were, he was trumpet. trumpet had okay. added trumpet, yeah. Okay. A band.
1: All right. And then our first drummer was AP Gonzalez. So, I mean, really, oh, yeah, so you that's know, that's three fourths, two thirds of that band came over into Egg Yoke Jubilee. the band,
0: in what way does. But Egg Yoke Jubilee. Very, carry on, I interrupted you. No, no, go ahead. Egg uh, Yoke Jubilee doesn't at all resemble one what's sort of orbit, no. or am I missing something?
1: No, because I, I think it was really a concept of Paul's that drove it in the beginning. You know, Well, I mean, Paul's a guy who has always had, and still does, which you will see uh, vis-a-vis a film that he and I collaborated on that's going to be released probably later this year. Uh-huh. Uh, he's always had a wild and idiosyncratic sense of humor, and approach to uh, subjects that he's interested in mm-hmm. and you know he's a big fan of english humor and Monty python and things like that and he thought that it would be funny to just kind of like take a punk rock approach to dixieland okay you know was that that's straight and thing? it was it was kind of like that yeah i mean he might describe it in a different way but you know that's kind of how i see it And then, you know, what I like to say now is that it's a genre that we invented called heavy brass. Okay. And we're the original and only purveyors of this genre. Uh
0: (laughs) Well, it's curious because nowadays, I mean, now it seems like everyone is is kind of, there seems to be this um, unbelievable uh, infestation of people interested in... um, Dixieland or, or old time old time jazz here. Sure. Uh, I was my rec- recollection when you were doing that is that there was just basically either it was a tourist band on Bourbon Street or that really wasn't going on and then you were there doing that. Okay, and yeah. then it seems like there was a huge layoff before the current, you know. Yeah, and I don't I don't I don't be-
1: feel that we are linked in any way, to like the tourist idea of it, yeah. Or, uh, I mean, we are sentimentally linked through lineage, yeah. Yeah. Uh, familial lineage to to that tradition, you know. Really? Because my great uncle Frank Federico uh, was Louis Prima's original guitar player, and a l- little background story about Paul and myself is that. We were friends before we came to realize that his grandfather played saxophone in my great uncle's band. Interesting. Frank Federico and the Medicare Madcaps. And you knew them? Did you know him? Uh, yeah, did I know Frank? Know. Yeah. You yeah, know. sure. Yeah. yeah, Frank always came around and stuff when uh, you know when the family got together. When I was a little kid, you uh-huh. know, he was always like the most entertaining guy okay. in the room, you know, I mean, he, he really came from that kind of like, uh, this, you know, the, the whole, the kind of a Italian humor, body, over the top kind of thing that came out of New Orleans, you know, okay. that finally manifested itself in, in, uh, in, 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 uh, in Louis Prima's band, you know, uh-huh. which most people think he's from New York. Yeah, yeah. for whatever reason, you know, <laughs> yeah. but for me, it's so different, you know, it's yeah. like, it's like Sinatra, so different than Louis Prima, you know, uh-huh. it's like, you know, y- y- you can really see that kind of sense of humor coming out of New Orleans. How know? would you
0: describe that sense of humor? I mean, is it something?
1: I don't know, there's just kind of a robustness to it and a bawdiness to it, uh-huh. you know, and, uh, and 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 a loudness to it that uh, that makes it kind of different, you know, I mean, uh-huh. I mean, those guys were all very skilled musicians in their own right, and uh, I'm, I'm still to this day, like, very impressed with a lot of, like, <clears throat> just the kind of chicanery that they, they took on in, in the writing, you know, it kind of, like, leans in the direction of, uh, of, of Spike Jones, you know, in a way, you know, it kind of lays the groundwork for that, you uh-huh. know, um, zaniness, uh-huh. you know, and there's a kind of shecky kind of thing to that, you know, that, uh, uh-huh. you know, it's, it's vaudevillian in in a way, you know, but uh, it 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 has its own kind of thing that feels New Orleans to uh-huh. you me. Know? And there so both of you were exposed to that kind of cultural
0: thing or the, what 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 it would have been there. And then
1: Well I should am trying to understand uh, I should continue too there's more there's funny. more than just well well Eric Boleto is kin to Al Boleto Right, Good yeah, one. exactly. The big band arranger and I, mm-hmm. I guess he's an arranger and and conductor, right? Mm-hmm. And then Glenn Barbaro, his grandfather has the Pat Barbaro Orchestra. His grandfather just passed in the past couple of oh, years. Really? Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. But uh but that's the Pat Barbaro Orchestra which is the you know, not maybe not that many people know outside of Fathery, you know, it's yeah. like the longest running uh Continuously performing big band in, in New Orleans. Uh-huh. You know, out of the Jefferson, Orleans, North uh, uh, wedding reception facility. Yeah. Which is where they, you know, Jubilee practices. <laughs> That's great.
0: That's where you practice. Where's That's that? That's where we practice.
1: It's in uh, it's in Metairie. Where? It's like by Severn Avenue. Okay. Um, I still, even today, don't know the cross streets. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's like, right there, right? I just know where the parking lot is, you know. <laughs> And uh, it's, like, off the service road right there.
0: Yeah, it's funny. Glenn, <laughs> Glenn seemed fine with that. I mean, I had Glenn. Glenn played with the Naked Orchestra a couple of times. Uh, once oh, playing, that's right. Yeah. Playing, once yeah. playing soon and once playing uh, sousaphone, I think. And, yeah. And, uh, yeah, he seemed to just fit right into that. That was no sure. problem for sure. him. Like, he was just, like, walked right in and was like, oh, yeah, this is this. is this. So, you know. <laughs> right, yeah. right, right, right. Exactly. So he's, like, <laughs> just, he's into it. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, it's pretty cool. So I mean, Glenn was, <laughs> is like
1: right now trying to find buyers for his his MIDI, his pre programmed MIDI Calliope. Yeah. That he's got. You know, I mean, yeah, he spent a
0: bunch of time. There was a period where he was writing me, like, write to write music for that, which I thought was really, All right. Of course, I, right I don't know how right. get that. I didn't around it. I don't know how I didn't take up that opportunity until <laughs> so that didn't happen. And uh, so, um,. Wait the MIDI calliope, but there's only one, or is this a line of things that he has? He's is he Well, he has MIDI? he
1: he has that, and he also has these like train whistles that he's doing right now. It's a it's a whole thing that he's got going. Well, and, and for a time he had he had some player instruments. He had a player guitar, which was like so bizarre. Man. Wow, I mean, you can't even imagine how fast this thing like it puts like. The fastest shredder on earth to death, you know, wow, wow, wow. because it's like left hand, right hand, left hand, right hand, right hand you know, as fast right. as it can possibly go. Wow, it can hit anything, you uh-huh. know, because it's mechanical, you know, right. so it can just do uh, achieve all these things, you know, the human body can, <laughs> and uh, you know, and and it plays oddly, you know, because the plucking it comes off of this, uh, you know, it's a high, hy- I don't know if it's hydraulic or, uh, you know, or if it's a pneumatic, I think mm. it's a pneumatic thing, and, it, and so it's like it plucks in this odd way, that like boing, you know, it's really like up on the string, you know, uh-huh, like uh-huh. really hard, you know. Uh-huh. And uh, it's only kind of in one spot, you know, so you there don't get the similar. dynamic difference of moving the pick up and down, right. you know. So it's uh, or the timbre, huh. and uh, it's uh, so anyway. That was that was kind of an oddball thing. I mean, Glenn has had all kinds of like these kinds of things. He was into mini cars. At one point, you know, he had like a Cushman motorcycle, you wow. know, and all this stuff. How yeah. did you come across And now he has like an, he does the electric football league. What? Now. What is this the about? Jefferson <laughs> Orleans North, you know, it was like they had those, uh, it's like a kind of like an aluminum uh, football field, you know, it was like about, you know, maybe by a three by two or something uh, like that. Uh, and they had these little plasticized guys that you put on there, and you know they look like little Heisman trophies. And you stick them on there, and you're a team, and uh, it has a vibrating mechanism in it. And you turn it on, and they just kind of vibrate all <laughs> over the field. <laughs> and it, one of them has a little foam football attached to it. And if it makes it across, if it doesn't turn around and run the opposite direction, uh. if it makes it across ten yards, then you get a first down inside of three. Unbelievable. I know, so I know, is, that's just, that's it, it. what What is it, a gambling game? Like, you I don't, bet? No, I this? think that they're, they're just like, you know, there's like this group of guys. They get together and they do it. You know? okay, it's, like, it's like having a dart league or something like that. You know? Crazy. So how did you come across Glenn? Glenn was friends with Paul, and Glenn played in a uh, Rummel high school band. And then he was uh, part of the tuba line at uh, uh, the Jumas at uh, LSU. Mm-hmm. yeah that's another thing that he does too is like he's one of the principal like jumas uh alumnus he's a jumas alumnus and he and he organizes jumas events well wow. yeah right okay <laughs> so um <laughs> you didn't know you were getting into this like hyper local you know uh, but that's what salad I, hey there. listen you know this is what it's
0: about though you know you're going in for the inter- interest the really interesting stuff I you know I had an idea that maybe it might be interesting. So, and, um, so, okay, so that, that, that deals with Paul, you, Glenn, uh, Mike Joseph.
1: Was Mike Joseph's brother in there? Well, no, um, no, none of his siblings play music. He's the only musician oh, okay. in the family, um, as far mm-hmm. as I know. But, I, I mean, a lot of the glue is the Rommel band bef- okay. before all of you know, all right like like Glenn Eric Mike Paul before he got tossed out of Rummel. um why was he tossed out of Rummel? oh I shouldn't say but, <laughs> but weed okay you no know, yeah. that was the reason why okay, I, yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah okay. like, good reason uh, so 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 really in a sense like from that standpoint it was like uh, me and then eventually we added a bass player you know which the original bass player was Tim Paco. Oh, right, I remember that. just kind right. of muscled his way into yeah, the band. that's right. You know, as right. you might imagine. <laughs> <Yeah>. and, uh, <coughs> and then it was Steve Calandra after I that. I remember that, right. right yeah, okay. exactly. And then Steve uh, jumped ship and went over to the Morning 40 Federation and other projects. And then Mike Hogan, you know. And Mike Hogan was kind of like, uh, do you know Mike? Man, no, I don't know Mike. Mike does a lot of, like, his bag is mastering and duplication. You know, oh, in really? In terms of, like, how he makes his living, uh, you know? But he does a lot of mixing and stuff too. You know, okay. he's kind of this mastering guy around town. You know, he does all kinds of projects out of his uh, little basement in his house. Okay. But he was kind of like hovering in the proximity of the band um, for years, and uh, was a friend. And so when uh, the slot came available, he joined us, and he's been with us ever since. Mm-hmm. And then we had uh, after AP, we had, we had Ron Bosham. On drums, mm-hmm. and then and after Ron, Ron we, had, uh, oh, yeah. well, well, we had Andre Lansness. Oh, Andre! your drummers were all splitting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was funny. I was yeah, like, yeah. I, I mean, was playing
0: with Ron in California a little bit while I was out there. Oh yeah. So oh yeah, yeah. 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 No, place. I visited yeah. him. Man, <laughs> we did a little, a
1: little throwdown too. It was pretty yeah. Funny. <laughs> yeah. No, it was good. Um, so, so yeah, we, uh, you know, and then after. After Andre left, it was kind of, you know, there was kind of a lot of turmoil. There were a couple periods of turmoil. Early 2000s, Paul split and went to New York. Kind of, you know, threw a monkey wrench and things. And then, you know, obviously Katrina. You know, I was out of town for a couple of years. And then, um, you know, there were just personnel difficulties. We we ran through the drummers. And, uh, I, I mean, you know how it is. Like, with a band like us... The difficulty is that the music is so idiosyncratic, Mm -hmm. and since nobody is necessarily a a read-from-the-page musician, probably, uh, Glenn is probably the most advanced member Uh from that standpoint, you know, that that it's like, it's difficult just to slot somebody in, you Mm -hmm. know, we're not one of these bands where you can like, you're playing from the canon, and you could just You know, as you know, there's so many of these rotational bands around town where everybody's just calling each other up and saying, hey, I can't do this gig tonight. I have a more lucrative thing. Can you sub out for me? Right. You know, and it's like, oh, what are we playing? Well, okay, this, 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 and this. Oh, I know all of those students. Okay, fine. I'll come in and sub. No problem. Or they've got the sheet music, you know, and you can just play off of that. You just can't do that with us, Mm -hmm. you know? Right. So anytime a drummer... um, exits, you know. It's like a big downer. Sure. Everybody's, you know. So so then, uh, you know, with like James Clark played with us, and, and then uh, we settled on uh, Colin Rooker. Um, and then he played with us for a bit. Things didn't work out there, and now Keith Ajar is playing with us. Okay. And uh, Keith, you might know, is the drummer from Bingo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, how much
0: are you playing nowadays?
1: Well, more than we have in the past
0: few years. That For was sure. actually the impression I got. It was like all of a sudden I was seeing a lot more cats actually from then, like early 90s things that were suddenly out doing things amongst them yourself. But, uh, you know, and I, uh, you know, Lou's got that band. I was just shocked to see Lou... Back out doing right, stuff. right. Nice stuff. Yeah. I thought that was like a retired for good, like he's gone, you know. But Norco Lapalco. yeah, like the great Norco Lapalco. and then, and then um, so how? Did, what do you feel? I mean, did you, did you feel when you started doing the band that the things were somewhat conducive to having that kind of band around at that time, or, or you know, what was the, what did you find it the situation getting gigs or or starting to work? in the world in which that band showed up.
1: <laughs> I mean, Jonathan, we used to, we played shows with, like, dudes that we knew, uh-huh. you know, and dudes that we knew um, were guys from here who, like, a lot of them had metal bands, right. you know, so we had this, I mean, we were like this freak act. Yeah, you know that we played shows at Dixie Tavern and stuff like that. You know, with like, with with like metal sludge metal bands sometimes, man. Like, I mean, it made no sense from a billing standpoint, you know. But we were just like, hey, we know those guys. Maybe like it was an uh-huh. an opening slot, um, and then it just kind of morphed from there into us being our own thing, and we we had a kind of a heavy following in Mid City you know, for for a while when the Acadian Brew Pub was open, you know. Oh, was, really, that was just We were really like a, yeah, like the hub band, uh-huh. thing, you know. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I would say yes, you know, but, you know, I would temper it by saying that, like, the music that we make, you know, is so, I mean, again, I hate to keep using the word idiosyncratic, but that's that's what it is, you know. It's quirky, and and it's a thing all unto itself and uh so it you know in, in a sense sometimes i think it's like it's kind of a hard sell which is a, maybe something that you can relate to i don't know oh yeah i know, you know? but you know,
0: but then on the other hand i was one of the people who had a lot of weird bands in that era when they're i mean the reason i ask that question is because i get the feeling that for some reason things are it's a little harder now to have something uh Oddball idiosyncratic, take hold now there's something about the world, that world i don 't really know exactly how to put it, but although it was hard, it was in the middle of sandwich in the middle of other things
1: that were that were that were a norm. It seemed like I mean I didn't think there was years. more well, first of all, I don't want to get caught in the trap of sounding like you know an old person yeah <laughs> okay, right, right. Don't Exa- do don't exactly right <laughs> um, I do think that there's some encroachment. Of a certain uh, pop element um, that is just somehow you know has passed into uh, younger people today by via osmosis and just it's it's overwhelming presence in everyday life and and so there's like a much larger acceptance of of like large scale pop acts these days which you know the kind of like somewhat punk rock sensibilities that comes out of like uh, the Minutemen tradition and bands like Lump and, and stuff like that really forged an identity that rejected all of that shit right? like outright like there was no time when you could go to somebody's house party and hope to hear that somebody would try to like Jackie in a Madonna record Yeah, something like that. Just fucking not gonna happen, you know. And even if you secretly liked Prince or something like that, they're still not gonna play it for fear of reprisals. Yeah, totally. And so (laughs) it's it's like it's like it just never happened, you know. It wasn't part of the scene. It was it was all about doing something that really was off the beaten path, Uh. purposely, and and to do it with irreverence and with fun for us at least you know a lot of guys did that shit like really seriously yeah and with dour faces you know (laughs) and I think that that's where we came in and 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 annoyed the fuck out of a lot of those guys Uh you know and 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 I think for instance like our first drummer AP like I think that was really kind of our angle that graded on him more than anything else Really, that, AP was. Bothersome. I just don't think that he really like got it, you know, in terms of. And I don't think he was interested in the music, you know, and uh, and and so you know, or 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 waiting for it to like evolve into something, you know, because um, you know, I mean, he, they had been doing lump, and I, and and I can see that, you know, because that was just really interesting stuff, you know, it was a completely different angle, you know. Hey, it's well, true, but then, let's hey. let's do really irreverent shit, you know, like. But I would have thought that. Well, <laughs> I mean, you guys did really it, but maybe it was because it was too
0: much in a style that he didn't. Maybe I, well, I don't know. I, yeah, I knew AP too, so. I, it well, be whatever AP it too, was, there was whatever there was. was clearly, problem. something that it, yeah, something he just, jarred, yeah, right, right jarred him. And he, didn't want, <laughs> he didn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. Know? So did you? Um, uh, how did you? Now, how did you evolve the way, work out the way you play in the band? Your function. But how did you decide that you were going to deal with the with with this music?
1: Well, that's a good question, man, because uh, it wasn't necessarily a style that I had considered either. You know, it was more that I liked the idea of the irreverence of the whole thing, mm-hmm. and and just kind of like. I mean, I mean, come on! It's a it's like what. Other city is it better to do something like this where you take an idea that for so many people has been codified into this reverential you know corner of life you know it's 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 filled with like old leather chairs and 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 museums and and historic halls you know filled with these these musicians who are Look, they're, they are all great, man. I love all those guys, man. I really do. And, and I, I think that it's great. But, but you've got to expect at some point in New Orleans that it's going to turn on its head and get made fun of at some point. Right. You know, and, like, yeah, right. And, and I think that that's really, like, in keeping with the entire tradition. Uh-huh. If you really go way back, it's like so much... Of, especially if you watch films of performers like mm-hmm. there's so much subversive shit going on mm-hmm. in jazz in early jazz yeah. so much of it is really like thumbing its nose at at, at like stodgy white America mm-hmm. of of the time you know yeah. it really is yeah. you know um you know I mean I always feel like like the thing that that like Lewis Armstrong gets, you know, I mean, sometimes you know gets gets uh, I wouldn't say excoriated, but but you know gets criticism for um, is like you know the overblown smiling and, and things like oh, that, yeah. and all that so kind of stuff. So. I always felt like, isn't there really satire going on here? You know what yeah. I mean? Isn't there really, like, like if you're doing that, you're really saying like. Isn't it so ridiculous that you don't see this yeah. pantomime for what it is? Yeah. And therefore, I'm just getting the... I'm putting it over on you, mm-hmm. you know? And you don't know it.
0: Yeah. Well, of course, the slyness of, of Louis Armstrong is something you can never get to the bottom of. You sure, right. I know, right. Like exactly. So,
1: you know, I mean... It, but I'm, that's the part... That... Excuse me. It's right. That is part of the tradition. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and right. like, like, when you... When you listen to the s- tales of Danny Barker, mm-hmm. and when he was a, I don't know if he was a co curator or whatever at, at the Tulane, the Hogan Jazz Archive, but when he worked there, you know, I mean, one of the things that you couldn't rely on as a historian, as I've heard it, mm-hmm. is him ever telling a story that didn't have these gross exaggerations. Mm-hmm. It was it was always told with a grain of salt, sure. and he and he refused to tell it in a straight way, right? And that right. is part of the jazz tradition. It's like it's like it's like he's trying to convey to you that that's part of it that you need to understand. Sure, you there was I mean? a style in which he told stories. Like, I mean, I know him. He
0: to come by the gig, a gig that I played a lot on on his way to another gig that he played. Which I feel I can't believe that I was here in an era where that was a thing, you know. Anyway, uh, I yeah, I know. Serious. We're we're really lucky <laughs> we're really to be lucky. in a in an age
1: group that got <laughs> to, got to see kind of like the tail end of that.